I'm well, a fun you guy. You have fun when they finish below 500. I'm just Captain Fun. I guess. Or a captain suit, the show from now on. I don't like the half point. Well, that's called the hook. I don't like it. What the hook How do you get rid of it? Can you get rid of the hook? I'm going to have a coronary. I'm getting too old for this job, but you guys may have won. Upset. If you look back at where the term came from, it was from a horse race. Upset when did you turn into Cliff Clavin? I like this job. <laughs> I've had it for a long time, Paul. Last one. This is a chemistry lab. I'm on the verge of next year's Super Bowl. I can't help what I think. Be honest, Paulie. You're not doing this for <laughs> other people's entertainment. You are truly enjoying this. This is Orange Nation. With Stephen Fonte and Paulie Sebelia. Good afternoon, everyone. No Paulie Sebelia today. Stephen Fonte, Mario Sacco with you on a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. And we have a jam-packed show. We've got five guests lined up for you today. Kurt Kaloff from the SU Men's Soccer Team, midfielder. Scored a goal in the national championship game. He'll join us at 1230. Our good friend Dan from the Wildcat Sports Pub will be in at 1245. The Hall of Famer Jim Beheim, 1 o'clock. He joins us at 1 o'clock every Thursday throughout the college basketball season. Cornell head coach Brian Earl at 115. And then Syracuse University professor Rick Burton joining us at 1.30. He's the author of a new book, Business, the NHL Way, Lessons from the Fastest Game on Ice. We'll talk with him to close things out at 1.30. And we'll take your phone calls, I usually say throughout, but uh, with the, the five interviews, we're going to take your phone calls in the first half hour of the show today at 315-437-7644. So if you have something to say, uh, get in early. On the show today, as I welcome in Mario now, uh, what's going on? I, I wasn't expecting to see you here, but uh, it's a oh. nice tie and shirt combo you got on. Thanks. Uh, things are going well. Household is sick, and I'm dealing with a dog that's sick. But uh, that's for another time. We're here to talk sports for the next two hours. All right. Yes, we are. Uh, we're here to talk sports the next couple of hours. And uh, SU basketball on on top of mind is uh, the the non conference finale is is set for Saturday with uh, with Cornell coming to town. And you know Cornell's an interesting team. Um, yeah, I was just talking with Jerry McNamara before we we came on here, and I asked him about Cornell. And um, you know the style of play this year it, it's different than uh, you know than, than we've seen in in past years from Cornell. I mean, they get up and down the floor. They uh, they shoot the basketball. They're going to pressure you. Um, and you know, there I, I think that game against Miami opened some eyes a little bit. The fact that they dropped 105 points. You you look at their schedule so far. They've got the two losses, both the ACC teams by a bucket. Outside of that, they really haven't played anyone. So it's um, a little bit of mystery with this How Cornell dare you team. Disrespect the Ithaca Bombers <laughs> like that, Steve. Uh, no, you're exactly right. They're seven and two on the season, and everyone wants to go back to oh, they hung 105 on Miami, and we'll talk to Coach Brian Arrow uh, about that game. And and when you look at this team, though, you know they were down at one point in time in the second half. They were down with 20 in that game and made a heck of a comeback. They actually got a three point shot attempt at the at the buzzer that was blocked or with one second left that was blocked. Um, but other than that, they, they haven't played anyone. You know, wins over SUNY, Delhi, and Ithaca in Division Three. Uh, the lone win that you can look at and kind of match them up with Syracuse, uh, they have a blowout win over Monmouth. At, at Monmouth, uh, they beat Monmouth by a, a final of 81-63. So this is a team that shoots a lot of three-pointers. They shot a lot of three-pointers in that Miami game. They shoot 37% from behind the arc. They averaged 12 three-point field goals made from behind the arc. Everyone almost in their starting lineup scores in double figures. 
uh, from about 8.8 points a game all the way up to about 13.7 points a game. So it's kind of a balanced effort. Uh, Greg Dolan is their leading scorer at about 13.9 points per game. You know, we talk about that, you know, this Cornell team under Brian Earl is different than than past versions of Cornell. They had the, the third highest pace of play last season, fifth highest pace of play uh, so far this season. Um, so this, you know, this is going to be up and down. You know, I would expect a lot of points are going to be scored. And, um, you know, it's a game that Syracuse certainly should win, but I, I don't think this is this is one that you you look at look at as a layup or a gimme. I mean, they're you know they're obviously a better team than Monmouth, and you know Monmouth uh, created some trouble for Syracuse for you know the first 25, 30 minutes of that basketball game before Syracuse was able to pull away. So um, this is not a this is not a gimme by any stretch, but I, I do think you know Syracuse is certainly the better team, and I think it's you know we should we should expect them to go out and take care of business. Yeah, you want to see strides as you head back into ACC play and. You know, I don't think you saw strides in that Monmouth game, Steve, and you were seeing it over the past couple of games, how the team was coming together, and, and besides Judah Mintz, you know, you know, what else could you circle from that Monmouth game that you were feeling positive about? Um, as Cornell comes to town, maybe they take a, a blueprint of what Colgate did to Syracuse. They're going to try and shoot, you know, what Colgate shot more three-pointers than, than two-point field goal attempts in that basketball game. It, it was and made 19 of them. Do they try and do that? Um, they don't have the inside presence. Jesse Edwards should have a field day against this basketball team. So, you know, does Syracuse try and, and pound it inside and, and, you know, kind of extend that zone and, and force Coolgate to go inside? But as you said, they're going to try and get up and down the floor, and they definitely did against Miami. Um, you know, they lost 79-77 to Boston College to start the year as their only other loss. And we mentioned the other teams they played, wins over Lafayette, Delaware, Monmouth, and Canisius, as well as St. Francis, besides those two Division Three wins. You know, th- this game does nothing for you as it pertains to the net rankings, but I-, I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, the momentum that, you know, again, hopefully with another win and, and they can take care of business in the early part of the ACC with Pitt and BC and, and Louisville. Louisville, by the way, picking up their first win last night. Jordan called um, that one, yeah, I think, Jordan, on the money line. Jordan did call that one. Um, but you hope that you could build some momentum here where you've got that, as we've discussed on the show, an eight-game winning streak going into the Virginia game. And so, again, this this game doesn't do much for you in the way of the net ranking, but it is your non-conference finale. It is your last chance to you know work on some things before the ACC starts back up again, because again, once you get into the ACC, um, you know, and not that you know, we've talked a lot about this on the show. Not that you experiment during games. You know, it's not a chemistry lab, as was famously said last year. They are still they're a work in progress, and they're still trying to figure some things out. This is your last chance against a non-conference opponent to figure some things out before you jump back into the ACC. And I'll be interested to see. I mean, the question was posed to Coach Beheim after the game. Do you think about changing your starting lineup? And obviously, he said, you know, I'm thinking about food right now, what I'm going to eat, but. To me, I think that's a relevant question with the way, you know, Chris Bell has played. And he talks time after time, you know, I can't play a guy that doesn't go out and get a rebound. You know, is this the game that we see? Maybe Benny slide into that three three spot and you play John Bull or at the four. And, and you know, you teeter a little bit with that at the beginning. Or is it, you know, same starting lineup? But over these last couple of games, you know, we've seen – Bell, Taylor, Samir, you know, uh, your Copeland get in there, um, Brown a- as well. So, you know, he's still trying to figure out what 
the limit is, you know, he's a guy that normally plays seven guys at max. Maybe you're stretching it to eight. You know, when are we going to see that Titan rotation, so to say, heading into ACC play? Yeah, it's a great question about the forwards. And, you know, we heard Jim Beheim discuss that after the Monmouth game, that it's not ideal, but they may start putting, you know, you might, you might start seeing that lineup of two power forwards on the court more, um, even though it's not ideal. It they need re- they need rebounding. You know they out rebounded Monmouth by one or whatever it was, and and Georgetown same thing. Um, you know they need, they need to find some rebounding, and we know that Malik Brown can certainly do that. John Bolajak is more of a facilitator, but he's got size and he he knows the defense well, and he's a good defender. Um, so if you do slide Benny to the three, you can get those guys on the court, and you know the odd man out in that situation would be Chris Bell. But you know. Chris Bell's got to make shots on a consistent basis, and he, you know, we've been hearing it for eleven games. He's got to rebound, and he hasn't done that. He's got twelve rebounds in eleven games. And and everyone says, you know, Chris Bell needs to be out there for his shooting. And Coach Bay, I mentioned, you know, what's his shooting percentage? It's not great. So it's not like you know he's lighting it up from behind the outside or, or shooting a great field goal percentage. And I don't mean to hamper on someone, especially a freshman, in his first what eleven games of the season. But you know. You, you play collegiate basketball. You play basketball at a high level. Steve, basketball's uh, rebounding the basketball is all about will, going to get the ball. And, and, you know, Jesse Edwards is having great games. He's having double-doubles. He's got four or five of them this season. But, you know, realistically, three or four of those rebounds per game should probably go to a Chris Bell, to, uh, you know, a Justin Taylor, to a, a John Bull, instead of Jesse having to come over and grab those. So it's going to be – you know, every season it seems like, you know, you can pinpoint one thing or another. And for this team, it's definitely rebounding when it comes to the forward position. We see it at times. Benny looks like he's, you know, one of the best players on the floor at times. And other times he looks like he goes and hides. Um, you know, you can't have that. You need consistent play uh, out of Benny Williams. And you need something uh, out of that three position. Chris Bell's played 216 minutes uh, this season. Malik Brown has played 90. Malik Brown has more than twice as many rebounds as Chris Bell. And I mean again we're we're getting to the point now where the sample size is large enough that you know that's that's not a coincidence that's not an accident like Malik Brown's a rebounder and and he What is it then Steve if you look at how the zone is constructed and you know it, it's not just the ball's not coming to him. You know what? What do you have to do when when, when you're playing yeah, that position? I, I think it's a lot of things, and I think one of the things that sticks out to you about Chris Bell is that he's not always in the right position. Yeah. Um. And I think positioning has something to do. And you talked about you know aggression and physicality and mental toughness and you know wanting the basketball. All that is is part of it, but positioning is some of it too. And you know Chris Bell and 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 wanting you know wanting to rebound like right i mean and and we know that that is one of Malik Brown's instincts and and some of this is you know some of this could go back to high school too like Malik Brown like that was part of his yeah. job it was a big part of his job in high school and it wasn't for Chris Bell and he got here and you know Jim Beheim you know kind of chuckled about that the other day saying Chris Bell told me that he never rebounded and now i believe him but there there is some truth to that yeah. like it's a it's a new role for him it's something different he's used to being on the perimeter now he's got to stick his nose in there and and get some rebounds and He's 11 games into his collegiate career, and he hasn't figured it out yet. Malik Brown, this is something that comes naturally to him, and he's good at it. But you're getting to the point, you know, this is big boy basketball, and you're getting to the point now where, again, the sample size is large enough that, you know, those numbers speak volumes. You know, Malik Brown has played less than half the amount of minutes and has more than twice as many rebounds as Chris Bell. You're getting to the point now where that's going to earn him 
some more time. We saw it in the last game, and you know, Jim Bam said it's not ideal, but we may need to use that lineup a little bit more. And you're going to come to front lines in the ACC that aren't six two, six three, six four. You're going to get front lines that are six five, six six, six nine, coming down the stretch here in, in ACC play. So you know, it, you got to strap on the big boy pants, so to say, uh, once you start in conference play, but. And I, I talked about the toughness thing. It's a lot different, too. You know, at, when I was in high school, the only thing I played was man-to-man defense. So, you know, it, it was toughness. You go go, go get a guy. Box and, your guy and, out and get and the ball. Yeah. Put, put a butt on him and, yeah. and go get the basketball. You know, this is a little different. You're kind of in a spot. And, and, you know, as you said, he's out of, out of you know, spot at times. It's certainly an issue, um, and it, it may be the biggest issue with this team right now and, and something that they've got to figure out and, and figure it out quick because a- ACC play uh, returns next week. We'll take our first time out here again. If you want to check in, now is the time to do so. We've got five straight interviews starting at 1230. 315-437-7644. Back after this on ESPN Radio. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Bonte and Pauly Sebelia. Hour number two of Orange Nation underway on ESPN Radio. No Pauly Sebelia today. Stephen Fonte, Mario Sacco with you up until 2 o'clock. In case you're just joining us, we normally have the Hall of Famer Jim Beheim on at 1 o'clock. On Thursdays, we had to move him back to uh, to one thirty today. So, Coach Bayham at one thirty, Brian Earl, head coach of Cornell, joining us at one fifteen, and then Rick Burton, uh, professor from Syracuse University, author of a new book on the NHL. He'll join us to close out the show. But we kick off the second hour by going to the phone lines. We've got Pat in Syracuse having the first word here in hour number two. Hey, Pat. Yeah, first wanted to talk about the the Ring of Honor ceremony and how it kind of hits home, man. I mean, we just watched that. It's just incredible to me. Um, it really puts things in, into perspective. You know, the, the big picture. Uh, you know, Coach Beheim's always been a big picture kind of guy. Um, it, it's just incredible. I mean, literally, I've been following Syracuse basketball since 1985. And I know, Steve, you're right around that same time, too. And, and we know nothing else, you know, but, but Coach Beheim. So it is, it is crazy. Um, it is kind of sad that it, it is nearing the end, uh, but shifting gears on that, you know, that's the big elephant in, in the room for, for, you know, the whole Orange Nation, whether, whether you're talking about the fan base, the alumni, um, the, the, the people on the inside, you know, the whole, re- the whole angle on recruiting and all that, it, it really comes down to how, you know, how he's going to leave, right? Is it going to be kind of last minute? Some people are speculating. You know, obviously he doesn't. He doesn't like the attention. We all we all got that from you know even his uh, talk during the ceremony. Um, you know, but that's the biggest thing that's that's a concern because you know what are they telling recruits? You know, that's that's the question that keeps getting dodged. You know, that, because if 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 I'm a father and and I got a 16 year old kid, I, that's going to be the first question I ask. You know, how can anyone commit to a school if they don't know who their coach is going to be? So I think, you know, last year um, I was on your airways and I really thought it was important that they lay out a plan. And, you know, I think a lot of people would have probably agreed. It, you know, no, nobody was calling for coach's job and, 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 and no nobody should. But I think isn't it important that we 
have a plan in place? I mean, what is your take on it? Uh, you know, yes, I think that there is some benefit to the recruits know. I, I don't think it matters if the fans know. I don't think it matters if those of us in the media know. But I, I do understand your point, Pat, about I, I think it's important that yeah. the, the recruits feel comfortable one way or the other with, with whatever is, you know, as you said, whatever the plan is. And, and, and if the plan is there's no plan or if the plan is, you know, this is precisely what's going to happen, as long as the recruits are comfortable with it, I think that's ultimately what matters. Well, it, it doesn't so much matter, you know, what – you know, if I know or you know or Mario knows, um, but I, yeah, I think that 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 does matter to some degree. What the what the players know? Yeah, because if you remember last year, you know, he he said the ironclad plan, and what what I have come to understand, you know, to the best of my own knowledge, is that what what he was saying is he already said it in in his you know in his explanation that his plan is at every time he works out his contract, and then when his contract up. You know he's done it what five six times already. Um, then they look at it and they and and then that's the next plan. So the plan is for him to work out his contract. I mean, does anyone know for certain if if that's next year or this year for his contract? Do do I I believe it's next year. At the end of next year is his contract up. But I've also been told that it's this year. Oh, well, I mean, these are things that we should know. I and I understand what you're saying. I, we are all secondary to the recruiting and their families, absolutely. And the inside people, like you know, the rest of the coaching staff, those people are way higher up for sure. But I, I and I also am not, I'm not beating the drum that some are when they say, oh, you know, we don't have any recruits next year because we stink and 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 nobody knows what's going on. I don't, I don't agree with either one of those. I don't think we stink. Number one and number two, I don't think that we're not getting any recruits because of Jim's future, but I, I think it would do nothing but take the pressure off him, take the pressure off everybody to just announce what the hell's going on and, and move forward. Because this this school, because it's private and just, just the way they handle certain things from, you know, the Jersey thing to, you know, so many things that they, they just don't do well. I think they need to hit a home run with this and just announce the plan. I think it'll benefit anybody, and I don't think there's any negative to it. And I hope Jim's not holding the program hostage either. Because that's the only thing I can come up with. Maybe he doesn't know. So, I guess more, more, more to come. Two things for you, Pat. First off, yeah, the, the Ring of Honor ceremony was, was great. You know, just looking up and, and seeing all the names up there, and you know, Pearl Washington's family being there, and looking at the big board at the time, and all the guys that when the video aired spoke, and you saw that that was outstanding. As far as the plan is concerned, he knows when he wants to give it up. And that's none. That's not your business. That's not Steve's business. That's not my business. For him, he 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 put in the time here at the university. If he's gonna leave on his own terms and when he wants to, that's gonna be what he's gonna do. Um, and he's not gonna tell you. He's not gonna tell me. He's 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 gonna tell probably his assistant coaches. But he's not gonna leave them in a bad place. These recruits are gonna know that you know when the time comes, I'm gonna be stepping away. Uh, he's not a guy that that's gonna leave high and dry uh, recruits hanging. That's just my opinion. And, and if it's next year, if it's in five years, you know, so be it. But you know, we're not gonna know probably until he says, you know, that was my last season. And, and that's the Jim Beheim way. And and hopefully, maybe I'm wrong, but but I don't see it that way, Steve. Yeah, uh, Pat, do you want to respond to that or uh, or? Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, my uh, last thing, real, real, real quick, is you know. 
I think everybody, anybody that had the luxury to be in Jim's spot would handle it differently. Correct. I, I yeah, just think and other guys, I just think, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I just think in a whole, there's got to be a reason that we're just not being transparent. Because not, not only do, does no one know when, but they don't even know who. You know, if, if they have a coach in waiting and it's already been decided, that'd be great to know. And, and if they're going to do an open search, uh, that would be great to know because, you know, yeah, but did we know the, the only team we knew kind of in advance was Duke uh, with Shire? You, you know, coaches they they come and go. That's the, the day and age of of college That's athletics. That's a good point. Do you know, you know, saying That's like, a good point. Say Mike Bray. You know, he he's been around. No, no, I'll go Leonard Hamilton. Leonard Hamilton seems like he's forty. Looks like he's forty, but realistically, you know, he's up there with Jim Beheim. Do we know Florida State's plan of attack, especially the year they're having right now? We don't. You know, it, it's just the day and age of of college athletics that, you know, when the time comes, would we like Autry, would we like Jerry, you know, to step into that role? Yes, probably. Um, But if they go outside the box, you know, five, six years down the line, are we going to be mad if Syracuse is winning basketball games? No, probably not. Right. Very fair point, Mario. Thank you. All right. Uh, Appreciate you checking in, Pat. And That was so chill without – certain something <laughs> <laughs> i miss him dearly but that was very chill you, you said you said it jordan <laughs> not me um you know and i would say that in terms of recruiting like i don't i don't think the lack of it being public has hurt recruiting i mean they yeah. just they got six guys who just came in and i you know i do think that it's hard especially in this day and age to stack big recruiting classes next to one another because you've got six guys and with the portal you don't know like Kids want to come in and play. Like you don't know how that's all going to shake out. Um, and next year, could, could we see you know three of the six kids that you brought in in the transfer portal? Right. Yes, we could. Right. Could we not? You know, it's the day and age of guys aren't staying three years but, to bide their right. time to play at a place like Cornell, at a place like Colgate. You know, they want to come to Syracuse University for one thing. To play basketball, sure, and to play right away. I'll tell you this: if there were a bunch of recruits coming in, the issue would be Malik Brown's not playing enough. He's going to leave. Yeah. Well, nobody's coming in to take his spot. I mean, I think we're all under agreement here that that seems to be at least the plan for the recruiting thing. Is you got six freshmen, and, you're and, not keeping yeah. any of them except maybe one or two. If you got a whole new slew of guys coming, I mean, and I think this is the year that you see, uh, you know, them hit the transfer portal for for three guys if they can. You know, it's just how you're you're building your roster these days. The day and age of you know bringing in these these five freshmen per class, it's not going to happen because you can see a kid that's already played collegiate basketball. You have film of them, so you know you can you can take that compared to a kid. Playing in an AAU circuit, scoring thirty-five points. Right, and and I would say that you know, and as I said to Pat, and I think we were all in agreement that it really just ultimately matters if the recruits feel comfortable with whatever the plan or you know the lack of a plan being told to them is. As long as they're comfortable, that's what matters. And you know, as as recent as this past recruiting class, they got six guys who felt comfortable with it. And I think the fact that you know there's not a lot in the way of um, you know you're like, well, what what's coming in next year? I think that. The bigger did, issue with did that Illinois is Illinois know what was coming in next year. You the, know what I mean. I think the 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 bigger reason for that, the lack of recruits, is that you've got six freshmen yeah. and a, a you know sophomore transfer. Um, 
it, you know, and, and Benny's obviously a sophomore, and as much as people hate to hear this, they are, you know, top to bottom, they're a young team. And so I, I think some of that is, you know, guys might be waiting to see how it all shakes itself out and if there is opportunity to play there. I don't think it's because, you know, Jim Baham hasn't informed the world of when he's when he's retiring. Yeah, and realistically, next year, you know, just like this year, you could have three starting spots up for grabs. You know, if Judah turns pro, Joe and Jesse, you know, so, how are you going to build around that? And I mean, let, let's be honest, Mario. I mean, nothing is guaranteed. You you could have you could, like you your, have, your you entire have, starting five. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if Chris Bell were, and I'm, yes. I'm not, there's no speculating here. I'm just saying, use him as an example. Yeah. He's not happy. He could go somewhere else. Yeah, you know, and how did we hear about it all last year? Uh, Benny Williams, uh, he, he should be looking at the transfer portal. I mean, the fact that Quincy hey. Garrier left. You know that I think that was a surprise to a lot of people. How's you it, know, how's it working out for him right now? Well, no, I I understand, but I, <laughs> I, know, I know, like I you, you get Kadari, but like Quincy leaving, yeah. that didn't make a whole lot of sense. So as much as we could say, like, well, that guy's going to come back, you 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 don't know. You you just don't know in this day and age. Scored six points, had eight rebounds last yeah. night. In case anyone's wondering, I'm with you. Um, All right, let's get to Coach O. Uh, before we go, very quickly, before you lock in those Thursday night football wagers, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, dealing with some injuries. Some reports are saying that he will start tonight. It's a very big one. I need Kenneth Walker. It's if one of my locks of the week. Info on Kenneth Walker and if he's going to have 100 yards. We'll work on it. CVW, <laughs> do your thing. All right, Brian Earl, head coach of Cornell, joins us next on ESPN Radio. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is Orange Nation. All right, Stephen Fonsi, Mario Sacco with you on a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. It was nice catching up with uh, Cornell head coach Brian Earl and... Now we get to talk to the Hall of Famer, SU men's basketball coach Jim Bayon, brought to you every week by Oswego County Mutual. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm good. Coach Earls, great coach, done a great job at Cornell. Really brilliant, bright young coach. Really, yeah. really smart. Yeah, normally we end the interviews talking about Cornell, but since we we just uh, uh, spoke with him, I mean, what do you think about this big red team, 7-2? and two, He's got them playing Best at a fast pace. Best team they've had since he's been there. They're really good. Really tough team for us to play. We're going to have to be a lot better than what we've been, but hopefully we can do that. Be a great game, uh, but you know that that's what gets you better. I did happen to ride over here. I, I let Mario is pretty knowledgeable. I guess Paulie's out. So <laughs> he is got, out today. I don't know if that's a good somebody, thing or a bad thing, Coach. We got you a get knowledgeable to... guy. Let me ask you two guys a question. What was the plan for coaching at North Carolina? That's that's what I said, yeah. Coach. That was my exact. What was the plan reason. at Alabama? Yeah. What's, what was what's the, the plan, plan at Florida at State? UCLA. Yeah. What was the plan at Illinois? The point is, there is no plan at all of those schools. There never was. And everybody, Pat calls about this plan, and like he needs to know. Really? What does he need to know for? I don't think he's even a season ticket holder. When, when I coach, when when this always gets brought up, you know, and I always say it's, you know, for one, it, it, it's on you. And for two, you know, it, the recruits and everyone says recruits, recruits, recruits. When you go into a home and recruit these days, can you like walk me in, you know, how yeah. you preach we, Syracuse? We went in last year and we needed a good recruiting year. I told them I'd coach them this year. All of them. And they all came. 
we got a top 15, 16, whatever we want to put it, class. Um, I think it's even better than that, but it's a really good class. And uh, they knew the plan. <laughs> going to coach him this year. So, um, you know, uh, everybody keeps talking about this year. We were never going to get recruits this year, probably. Freshmen are not going to come in when you have six freshmen. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, they have both kids we really wanted. Said, you know, you do, you know they, they, they never said this, but one was a guard. We have four guards that could come back. You know, one was a center. We have three centers that could come back. Why would you go there? And we were close to get them, but it was that was a deciding factor. The other thing is you have to understand in today's world, two years ago we had to remake the roster. This year we had to remake the roster. After this season, we might have to remake the roster because guys are leaving. It's a year-to-year thing. There's no longer... Like, if I wanted to set this program right, and, and this was 20 years ago, I could leave now or next year, and we'd be in great shape because you'd have six, seven young players. But that's just not the case anymore. You you might have to change this roster in the spring. You might have to get two or three guys to come in in the spring through the transfer portal. Half the football, good football programs in the country are saving 10 scholarships because they're going to take seven, eight, nine, ten transfers. Basketball, Virginia Tech uh, changed their roster. Um, You know, Wake Forest changed their roster. Um, Last year, North Carolina got the Final Four because they brought in Brady Manick. I mean, everybody is bringing in players. Alabama brought in two or three players. UCLA brought in. I mean, everybody, Illinois brought in, what, four transfers? Everybody is in the same position. It's a year-to-year thing now. We hopefully will have some nucleus back next year. We don't know that now. Um, but if we need to get somebody in the transfer portal, that's what we'll do. So it's a little less important in terms of a four-year plan because you're year-to-year now. It's strictly year-to-year. You know, football is going to lose a bunch of guys. They're going to get a bunch of guys in transfers. And, you know, their quarterback is a transfer guy. He's done an unbelievable job. Um, So, you know, I mean, it's look at the soccer team. They just won the national championship. How many guys do they have that transfer here? I don't know the number. I'm thinking it's between, what, six and ten, Mario? You should know that. They're their best players. I mean, yeah, the Poku yeah, came in. It was, it was five, I do believe. But uh, yeah. you're 100%. Along those lines, then, in today's day of college basketball, do you have to change how you coach, so to say? Is it no, no more tough love, or, or is it, you know? No. Yeah. no, you have to coach the way you coach. I, I get. I kind of laugh a little bit when somebody says, well, he's he's publicly criticizing his players. I'm not publicly criticizing. I'm publicly telling them what they have to do. This is what you have to do. If it's rebounding, if it's play better defense, it, that is a public, not a public criticism, it's a public acknowledgement of what that player or this player has to do to help our team and to play more. And I've always done that. And I don't look at it as a public criticism. I just 
informing the public of where we are. If we're playing poorly, for me to go into a press conference and say, well, we got to play better, that's it. I mean, that's that doesn't answer any questions. Who's got to play better? You know? And the, constantly, the age-old thing is, well, he doesn't take responsibility. It's always blaming the players. It's all my responsibility. If we're not playing well, we're not winning, it's my responsibility. Always has been. Never denied that. Uh, always taking full uh, responsibility for that. But my way of coaching is, is to get players to, to get better. And look, if a player can't get better and can't play here, then, you know, he's going to leave. Whatever whatever I've said to him. If I've said something tough or if I've said nothing. If a player is not playing in this world today, sometimes, most of the time, really, Benny Williams didn't leave. He knew he had to work harder. He knew he could get better. And he knew there was a path here forward for him to have an impact on our team and help him. So that's why he stayed. Uh, If some of these freshmen see their way forward as having an impact here next year, they will stay. If for some reason they think they can't. And there's a million stories. I love Robert Braswell. He's one of the best kids we've ever had here. He started or played starters minutes the last six games, including two NCAA tournament games here. But he came to me and said he wanted to start, and he didn't know if he'd start here. Well, he transferred, and he's not starting where he is, and they haven't won many games since he's been there. You never know when you transfer what's going to happen. Kadari is probably playing less at Seton Hall than he played here when he was a freshman, or about the same. And Quincy's averaging half what he averaged here. So you never know how that is going to turn out. It could turn out great, but it also could be difficult. You just don't know. And uh, transfer portals here, it's the easy way out, but you just don't know what's going to happen when you do transfer. I've seen, I think the statistics show that half the players of the 1,600 that transferred, their statistics are worse where they transfer to. I think it's more than half, actually. Yeah, it's a risk. It's always a risk. It's fine to have that that freedom, but I just think of Michael Carter-Williams, and he didn't leave, and he made All-Americans next year. You know? I think of Deion Waiters, who was upset, and he didn't leave. His mother wouldn't let him, thankfully. <laughs> Good and, choice. And uh, he was the what? Fifth pick, fourth, yeah, sixth fourth, pick fourth. in the draft. Yeah, fourth. Fourth pick in the draft. So, you know, sometimes staying is the best option. But, you know, it, it, it's just the world we live in. And, and, you know, I mean, you just have to see see what happens. And, uh, you know, it's but it's, it's really almost a remake your program every year now. I mean, you know, Kentucky and Duke have been doing that for a long time because they get top 10 players. If you get top 10 players, you can do that. You can play freshman. But if you get, you know, guys that are good players, but not those kind of players, they, you can't win with those guys as freshmen. You know, Duke can, Kentucky can. But 
Kentucky plays better when they have a couple of veterans too, but and and so does Duke really. But again, and or they have the number one player like last year they had Ben Carroll, and Griffin is starting for the Atlanta Hawks in the NBA. Two guys, so those guys are exceptions to the rule, and uh, they can win in college right away. But you remake your program really kind of every year a little bit. You're not, you know, we've been pretty lucky and have kept guys, but it's, you still have to kind of redo things every year. And the transfer portal stuff, there's a lot of things going on in there uh, that make the transfer portal very difficult. Coach, one quick question about the team this year. And I look, you know, you know what you said, it right? You got, we know what we have in Judah. We know what we have in Joe. We know what we have in Jesse. <laughs> When I look at the forward group, and at times it looked like, you know, kind of spin a wheel and who are we going to throw out there, is it an effort thing from them, or is it, you know, not knowing spots, or what, what is it through these first 11 games? Well, that just I mean, hasn't every clicked? guy's different. Every guy's different. Chris Bell's not a rebounder, not a really good defense player. He's a shooter, so he's got to improve in the other area. Well, Malik Brown's a good rebounder, but he's got to improve in the other areas. Defense, you know, passing, shooting, all those areas. Um uh, you know, obviously Benny is the most talented. That's why he's starting, and he because he can shoot better this year. But he's got to rebound and play defense better. And they know that. Um, they're aware of that. Um, you know, and they, it's a work in progress. They need to get better. It gets a little congestion when you put Benny at the three, and but he still needs to get near the basket sometimes. And Malik and Jesse, you, you got a little traffic jam down there. So you can do it, but it's it's a little different, um, and it, it's not as. I think it's something that can work sometimes, but I don't think it's something that works all the time. And so we'll just, you know, play different combinations. I'm not married that we got to play five guys. I mean, if one guy can play fifteen, another guy can play twenty. That if that's the way we do it, we've done that in the past. Um, it's much easier to just play five guys, six guys, but we'll do what's best. Um, Jesse's still evolving. He's getting better. I think Judas still is. You know, you know, those are all things we can still get better in these positions. Um, we started out the year, and we, we, we talked about Judas, you know, not turning the ball over. And uh, guess what? He's not turning the ball over, you know. So hopefully we talk about their rebounding not being good enough. Hopefully they'll start rebounding better. That's what they need to do. And we talk about it every day with them. And at a press conference, I just say, hey, this is what we got to do better when we win or when we lose. Uh, That's what I do. That's what I've always done. And uh, it's to me that's better. You know, Pat wants to be informed. I'm informing him of what I see. And uh, he can disagree with that. That's the country we live in. That's fine. And uh, for anybody. And uh, But that's the way, you know, we've always done things here. We hold everybody accountable. And if somebody thinks I don't hold myself accountable, they don't understand how I don't sleep at night when we lose because I I think I could have done something. Every coach does. Whether that's real true or not, I don't know. But we we always think 
we can do something to change the game, to help our team win. And we all know that we're responsible. That's the way it is. You know, if your team misses 30 straight threes and you lose by four, you're still going to be upset that you didn't do something, whatever that would be. And uh, that's coaching. That's part of coaching. All right, Coach. Uh, we do appreciate the time. That, you know, I, I do want to give you an opportunity as we wrap things up here. It's the first time we've talked to you since the, the national championship, the soccer team winning it all. I just figured you'd want to say a few words about Ian McIntyre and, uh, well, and, and the soccer yeah, program winning the, the title. First thing, first thing in my press conference, as much as I was upset with our game, <laughs> yeah. I was happy that uh, they won. I'd watched it. We all had watched it a little bit. I, the players didn't really watch it. We turned it off in there. But I watched it right up until I went out on the court. Um, you know, I think you can do two things at once. I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> I can't coach. I'm not very good at the one thing, so I'm doing two at once. Watch. Well, <laughs> oh, I can. I can. Uh, I, uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, it, it was great. Uh, it's just great to watch them through the tournament. I watched the ACC tournament games and then the NCAA games, most of them. And um, I like I'm a big soccer fan, and uh, I I just thought it was great, and uh, the way those guys played came together. And, uh, to beat Indiana was uh, that's hard to do. Um, it was just it was great. I was uh, really really proud. I I saw all the sports here. Always have. Uh, I, I remember Jim Nance wrestling is the greatest thing I've ever seen at Syracuse. People don't understand that. I think you can probably Google him wrestling probably in the world today. I don't know if you can really, but if you can, you should do it. He used to pin guys in 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, I know where Jim Nance is from. I'm from uh, right by where he, he grew up. Yes, sir. He was one of a kind. Greatest athlete I've ever seen. Greatest probably. athlete in my county ever. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, listen, Coach, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, best of luck on Saturday against the Cornell, right. and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. All right, there he is. Uh, Jim Bayham brought to you every week by Oswego County Mutual. We'll take our final timeout, wrap things up right after this on ESPN Radio. <laughs>